Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is Catch and Shoot 2.0, and we are talking Last Dance. We have an exciting show for you as Last Dance. We will talk episodes seven and eight, but also a big central figure in this entire docuseries has been one BJ Armstrong. He will join both Otto and I in the middle of the show. But before we get to that, Otto, let's talk episodes seven and eight. But first off, how you doing, my man? Doing well, doing well, washing hands, staying safe. Clorox and everything, bleach and Have everything. Have you left the house at all? I left the house. So I went uh, went to the store on Saturday, and I think I bought 20 gallons of water. My goal is to not Jesus. leave the house until June. That's my goal. My I'm not God. leaving the house until June. So you're one of those people that just hoards water? You're well, not hoarding I, anything else, are you? So, so here's, the, here's the thing. We, like, we, like, like, like you don't have like 10 different things of toilet paper, do you? No, no, no. Running, okay. run, running low on TP. But but water, <laughs> we, we go through a lot because we, we both, my wife and I both drink um, bottled water and we go through, you know, pasta, tea, all kinds of, all kinds of other food, you know, cooking. So, so, so you're a non-soda drinker as well? No, I, I, I like my, I like my, I like my bubbly, I like my Coca-Cola, okay. <laughs> okay. but when we go, we go through the water, we go through like, like two gallons a day. So I, I feel, yeah, I'm, I'm that exact same way. I'm also a water and tea drinker. I, uh, cut soda out of my diet in 2010. So since 2010, I have not had a drink of soda. So I'm very proud of myself for that. But that's another story for another day that nobody else really cares about except for me, myself, and I. But anyway, Otto, let's talk episode seven. For me, this was one of the ones I thought was most interesting because I thought we got the most raw emotion we've seen out of Michael Jordan. You know, for a long time in this whole docuseries, I felt like at some point we're going to get to know Michael a little bit deeper and about what drives him and what makes him tick. And for the first six episodes, it just felt like this train that was rolling down this track that was nothing but MJ is a God. MJ has no flaws. And for the first time in episode seven, I felt like we got to know MJ, what made him tick, but also some of his deficiencies as a teammate. Yeah. I mean, look, for someone who went through it, kind of lived through it, watched the games as they happened, uh, you know, I was waiting kind of for that was wondering, very curious how they were going to handle, um, you know, the death, his, death of his father. And and there was that iconic moment uh, after he wins the, the, the first title uh, after his dad dies, so title number four, and he's just in, in, in a, you know, almost in the fetal position on the floor in the trainer's room. And you could totally understand why, but I was very curious to see how they were going to get to that point. 
Um, and, uh, you know, from your perspective, you know, you're going through this to some degree for the first time. What was your yeah. take on it? How did, how did you come to it? It was, it was very uncomfortable for a number of reasons. So I had known that his father was murdered. I didn't know that there were accusations about it being tied to his gambling and that being a whole scenario. And, you know, there were the theories and there were all the ideas that it, the reason he left basketball in the first place was because it was a suspension from the NBA. That never set well with me. But what surprised me, Otto, is it's clear Michael Jordan is an executive producer on this whole story, that he has final say in the way that the narratives are crafted and the way that they are portrayed. I was surprised that he allowed that narrative to be shown to the degree that it was in episode seven. That was, and, and that that's part of what I'm talking about. This is the first time that we felt like there were stories that maybe needed to be pursued a little bit more that finally got pursued. So let's drill down a little bit. We're talking about when you say surprised, you're talking about the, the gambling aspect or you're talking about the more emotional side the gambling aspect that, that that was pursued in episode seven. Okay. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, again, as someone who went through it and lived through it, it, it was, it was inescapable. Um, you know, you have somebody who is like, you know, Tiger Woods after, after winning, you know, three majors in a row or, you know, uh, you know, a baseball player after winning you know, multiple world series and then just like ghosting completely. Uh, and, you know, we, we we get it. We you know we see the, the that his desire to play baseball and that definitely comes out and comes across. But at the time, you know, it was hard to find a person who would say, you know, well, no, okay, well, yeah, he's retiring, but what's the real reason? Like, why is he really going? And so you, that was just fueling all of this stuff. And then you know, the media being being the media, I'm not gonna gonna you know we'll point the finger. You know, I myself didn't write any stories about that because I was not in sports at the time. But you know. It was something that was on everybody's mind, and you just—it was inescapable. So, where were you when he announced that he was retiring? Uh, <laughs> so that was one of the what that was one of the things that there there it's weird. There are certain things that I remember, like you know, like where were you? And there are certain things that I don't like. I I was at the double nickel game, so I have I have vivid recollections of that. I have other weird recollections, but where he, where I was on the day he retired, I was probably at work <laughs> reporting another story totally unrelated to sports, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, cause obviously we didn't get alerts on our phones back, <laughs> back in those days. So, you know, you, you found out, you, you flipped the radio on when I went back, drove back to, back to the office and, and there it was. Uh, and I remembered, I remember being shocked, but they like the where I was part I'm, I'm sorry to say, to say I, I can't, I don't have one of those type moments. Well, it, it's very fair. It just, you know, for it being that time period and for, you know, that was probably the height of not only cable news, but local news and national news as well. To have a story like that break now is just unprecedented. You know, there would be leaks about that for days before it ever came to fruition. And so that part of it was interesting and spending an entire episode on really his baseball career and how happy he was. And one of the storylines that was really interesting was how, when he was playing at double a, they spoke about the way he got along with his teammates and the way that in the locker room, he was just a guy, you know, at the NBA level, he had maybe outside of his first year, really, he was never just a guy. He was the guy. 
how different was that to see some of that footage of how he interacted with his baseball teammates? And then in the next episode, when we got the contrasting aspect of how he interacted with his Bulls teammates, that was very interesting to me. Yeah. No, so yeah, he's, he, I thought the, the, the footage of him walking, kind of walking into the locker room and a whole bunch of guys throwing whatever it was, water or, or whatever they were showering him with. with yes. Because from the basketball aspect, it almost seemed like there was just this constant pressure to be excellent. Baseball, it didn't feel that way. And maybe that was just how they told it. But, you know, he seemed much more comfortable just being a dude on that team. No, no question. No question. I mean, I mean, that was one of the things that was interesting about, you know, it was obviously a lifelong dream for him to play baseball. His dad thought that he would be a baseball player. And, you know, you just saw, I guess, the, what I would say more raw Michael, real Michael, although although probably both Michaels are, are, are you know, there's NBA Mike and, and MLB Mike and or you know minor league Mike and I guess they were both you know both real. It just felt like the NBA players were a lot of times walking on eggshells, whereas the baseball guys should just treat them like number forty five down at the end of the at the end of the locker. You know, it, it, it was kind of strange. Yeah, it was almost like they were just happy to be teammates with Mike and to be in his presence. And the clip that you talked about is how they concluded episode seven, and it's something that we've been alluding to. The first time that you see real emotion, you know, they're crafting this narrative of what it's like to be a teammate of Michael Jordan and not only the pressures that come with it, but also the expectation of sustaining his excellence. And, you know, for the first time at the end of that episode, you see him break down when he's kind of met with this obligation of what is it to be a winner versus what is it to be a teammate and a leader? And we saw him cry and we saw him break down. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it 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 definitely was um, you know surprising, but although not not shocking. I mean, you could you could, I think I think we have seen him uh, in more recent years um, be more vulnerable. Whether whether it's um, you know certainly talking at um, at Kobe's memorial, so you you got a sense that I mean, I certainly was expecting to to see that, um, and I, I don't think it was necessarily shocked because that's that's also the. the Kind of the right. I'm not saying it's scripted, but that was the, kind of the right tone, the right, you know, the the right note to hit. Um, but uh, how did how did it strike you as someone who you know maybe sounds like you weren't exactly expecting that? Well, it just hit me as someone who maybe hadn't relived that moment or relived those times in 15, 20 years, really. You know, where he hadn't really put much thought into it, and then to kind of hear his teammates speak about it years later, and then to have those questions asked to him, it seemed like someone who hadn't kind of thought about it in a long, long time. It was the first time that it was becoming top of mind. But anyway, we got BJ Armstrong waiting on the line. This should be a fun show. Let's go ahead and get to BJ. And we are here with BJ Armstrong. Of course, uh, if you've been watching The Last Dance, you know who he is, but we're going to do the introduction anyway. He's the 11th year, uh, played for 11 years in the NBA and three-time champ with the Chicago Bulls and currently executive vice president with the Washington Mini Group. BJ, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Hope you guys are staying safe. And I really appreciate you guys for having me on. Oh, love, love, love talking to you. Um, uh, so first off, just got to ask, like, you know, we're, 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 I guess, what, 80% through the, through the last dance. What are your, what are your thoughts uh, kind of going through the Wayback Machine here? Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of when I was a young person back then, um, I never imagined that I would still be talking about this 
25, 30 years later. <laughs> so, you know, all of the stories that you see, you know, you're looking at them going, well, I probably would have done something a little different if I would have known that I would have had to recount this for some type of documentary, documentary, documentary. And um, so it's a little weird, you know, if I could be, you know, completely transparent to see yourself on television. But most importantly, you know, I, I think it's a great story. It's a story that needs to be told. And and I can't think of, you know, this is Michael, you know, you're getting a chance to peek behind the curtain to see, you know, the man, the myth, the legend himself. And uh, so I, I think it's it's great. It's great for all of us to have this opportunity to see him and really experience, um, you know, what he did as a, you know, as a, as a player in the NBA. And BJ, part of the interesting thing about it is that we're getting a look at all of the teammates, you know, everybody that was involved in those six championships. When they came to you and they told you that they were going to make this documentary, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Well, the very first thing was, uh, well, if you are going to do this, I have to talk to Michael himself. And I was, I was, uh, I was speaking with, um, with Jason, the director, uh, about this and we were, he had came on, uh, you know, uh, we were together on, on a podcast and when Jason and his group and his team first called me about the potential of being a part of this documentary, I said, well, that's interesting because if Michael was doing something like this, Michael would call me himself because none of us really talk. <laughs> that was, I was like, that's nice. Thank you for inviting me to be on the documentary, but I don't believe that Michael will be involved in something without calling me. I, I you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I just didn't believe it. And uh, he goes, okay, that's fair. And then Michael calls me. So, you know, it was really funny. So that's kind of how we started off our conversation. And uh, we started laughing. He was like, that's how I knew, you know, the commitment that you had to him as a friend. And that's the commitment that we had to that group, because here we are 30 years later and we're no one has ever shared these stories before, because that's what we did. That locker room and what we did as a group, we it remained within the group. So um, that's how when they when they first approached me some two or three years ago about the potential of doing it. I said, yeah, well, Michael would call me if he were doing something like that. And he eventually called me and we laughed and we shared, you know, like, oh, man, he was like, oh, that's my bad. <laughs> I was like, well, of course you're bad. Who are these people? I don't know these people calling me. <laughs> like, how did they get my number? So, but it's turned out great. And uh, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he, you know, is excited about sharing this story because, uh, you know, there's so many people ask all the time, you know, like, what was it like playing with Michael Jordan? Well, now you can hear from Michael himself. And uh, I think it's great. Just curious, because uh, I'm, I'm a guy who loves the behind the scenes stuff. At what point did was that conversation? How far back uh, was the initial uh, ask? I want to say it's it's it seems like a, like it seems like forever. Um, I want to say probably a year and a half, at least two years. Okay, maybe uh, it's been a while. I mean, when they finally came out, I was very impressed with the, the setup and and everything they had, but. I want to say it's probably been a couple of years now, maybe, maybe a year and a half. I can't remember. I'm 52 now. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not in front of me now. Like I can't remember, but, um, but I know it was some time ago and, um, you know, and, and just like, it, it, it was awesome 
how you know they put this together so quickly because you know they they you know they they even pushed up the starting date for this uh, to get it out even sooner than it was planned. So, uh, so here's a question. So you were you you obviously were part of of, of a three peat, and then years later, um, you know after after his retirement, you're you're now faced as you know now you're the opponent, and we obviously saw what happened in <laughs> in that series later, later on. Kind of right. talk about talk about going from playing with him to playing against him and how that dynamic worked. Well, you know, for so many years we, um, you know, we played together. You know, we we won together, we lost together, and you, you know, you you understood what that was like. You know, and uh, you didn't take winning for granted by no stretch of the imagination. And then you get an opportunity to play against him, and uh, so that was fun too. You know, when you're playing. You know, you, you know, at least I embrace the competition of, of sport, right? You you win some, you lose some, but you you show up and you do what you do. So for me, that was just, that's the world that I lived in. That's the world that I knew. And uh, those were great times. I, did, I didn't think twice about it. Uh, I, I think it's funny that people were like, oh, wow, what was it like to play against them? Like, yeah, that's that's what you do, right? <laughs> I, I, that was that was the world we lived in. That was kind of that generation, that era where you accepted the challenge, you faced the challenge, and um, for one night though, Otto, I we were able to win a game. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, hey, you know, it's like you're in a fight. You know, if you get the if you hit the right punch, you know, you get the right the right lick in, you bite yeah. back the guy out. So. Hey, you, you can't fault me for going for it, right? You right, know, right, that's, right. That's how I looked at it. So, so <laughs> these days, these days, guys would trade jerseys now, like you know, after the game. Would, would that would that that wouldn't have been something done back in the day? You like? No, you you didn't do that. And uh, you know, one of the things is, if I didn't do that, right? If I didn't challenge and play that way, I know he would have called me and would have been, you know, he would. He, Look, I learned how to do those things with the Bulls and when I first came in the league, right? I learned how to compete, you know, playing for those championship caliber teams. I learned how to play the game at the highest level from all of those guys, Scotty and Michael and Bill and all those other guys. If I didn't compete in that series, I would have heard from all of those guys, like, what are you doing? (laughs) In particular, I would have heard from Michael Jordan. That's the funny part about it. Like, if I didn't compete, he would have been like, what are you doing? Like, that's not you. That's not us. That's not our DNA. That's how we learn. We were going to compete. We were going to challenge. We all talked a little trash to each other, but we were all each other's truth tellers. So the funny part about it was, if I did do it, he was going to be upset. And if I didn't do it, he was going to be upset. <laughs> I was, was, was so, going to say, BJ, you're really in like a no-win situation there because well, you're, you're having I, a great game. You're going got, through that. You didn't you hear what I said. You didn't hear what I said. If I got the right <laughs> hit in, I could have won the fight. <laughs> that was my only That was my only solution to this problem that I had, right? And uh, But no, that's, that's, that's who we were. I mean, competition is what we embraced, you know, uh, my my son quickly pointed out to me, he goes, Dad, how could you do that? And you were wearing her shoes. And I didn't even recognize, I didn't even realize I was wearing Jordans. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so it's like things like that, like, like that's who you were. There was like a, a brotherhood or respect that 
you that's how you play and 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 you 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 thrived in that type of environment you know the the competitive spirit was what the game was all about and that's the only way i knew how to play so um you know i i had to respect him right and anytime you open up a series you had to establish that you were going to be in a fight so there's no other way to play in this league other than to go out there and try to win the games you never know what's going to happen so you know what hey why not go out there and lay it out on the line and if, if you meet a man that's better than you hey you, you pat that man on the back and say good job and you move to the next game so that was uh my mindset and uh, that's how i learned how to play bj this series has been so much fun to watch just to hear your guys's tales and kind of retelling the story of not only those six championships but the early jordan days and how much responsibility was there as a teammate specifically in practices? You know, and a lot of the narrative is, has been about how competitive those practices were and how intense they were. How much of a sense of responsibility was there every day to make sure that you were living up to not only this legacy that the Bulls were building, but the legacy of Michael Jordan? Well, you know, I would love to, to tell you now that I knew the legacy of Michael Jordan back then. And what we did know is that we had a chance we had an opportunity and there was a huge sense of urgency with all of us. And, you know, our, our greatest achievement, and certainly Michael was our best player and deserves all of the credit. Um, you know, he took on that responsibility, but we were a group full of truth tellers and we took that responsibility amongst our group. We policed our own, you know, our team, we held everyone accountable. And, you know, I think one of the things that I don't know if people missed it, but, you know, one of the things and to go to your question is Michael said, I would never ask something of a player that I wouldn't ask of myself. And I don't know if they touch on this in, in nine and 10. I don't know. I haven't haven't seen uh, the final two episodes. But, you know, yes, you saw Michael and you saw, you know, the things you saw Michael talking. But what you, you know you know, all of us respected about Michael is that he could accept it too. And, and we, no one held any punches of what they were saying to one another, right? We yeah, were a team. That, that was it, kind of the amazing thing about it is that, you know, it all seemed like you guys understood what the mission was and you guys were all in this boat rowing it, together. It wasn't just yeah. one person. Mike, listen, when you say Michael Jordan, it's only one word you can put next to that. That's winning. There was no other agenda in there. So when you say Michael Jordan, and if you have any other agenda other than winning that game, then you're probably going to be very uncomfortable. You say what you want to say. He's tough. He's competitive. Okay, that's fine. But if you're there with him, if you're there in that group, that's the culture that we had created there, that there was nothing else that was going to come in between us and the goal we had set. And everyone was committed to that. And that's what's made that team special, right? You know, we had Bill Cartwright, we had John Paxson, we had incredible leaders, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant. We were all committed to that one little goal, which was winning. And there was nothing that was gonna get in our way, right? And Michael, that might have been different for a lot of people. And I can see how the outside looking in, you can say like, well, he's competitive and he's hard on his teammates. If all the if if all you're concerned about is winning the game and you win six championships in eight years, what's the problem? There, there is, is no problem. problem. Yeah, the, the <laughs> only goal is to win basketball games, right? So that's the only goal, and you can't say anything about that. And 
I just marvel at how focused that anyone can stay in that space for that long. And yeah, is it possible to win 82 games? Probably not. But what Michael Jordan showed us all that it is possible to want to win every game. Michael Jordan came to practice every day and tried to win every single day. He tried to win every drill. You saw in the documentary, he was winning the line drills when he was in his 30s. He was trying to win every game. He was trying to win every loose ball. Whatever he tried to do, he tried to the very best of his ability. That is something that you don't see. And that's what we all saw every day. And once you understood that, then you understood the commitment that was needed for you to do the same thing, right? Everyone has a different skill set. Everyone brings something different to the table. But what you can do is you can have the focus and the determination to bring what you were required to bring as a player, right? There's, there's something you got to bring too. You have to bring the effort and the energy every single day, every single day. And that requires you to be focused and understand the sense of urgency that we all were trying to play with and, uh, but with him leading the charge. How, how much of the fact that you guys had built that over those three years and that year that he's gone, that mindset carry over to the next, because, you know, you look at what you guys did that following year, you guys were tremendous. You were an all-star. You guys had three all-stars on that team. How much of that competitive spirit still lingered from him? Well, you know, um, one of the things is there's a fine line between winning and losing. And um, when you win, you know, it, it, it's great, right? You see all of the, the glory and people talk about the, the journey and all those things. But we also experienced the other side of that. Okay, we experienced what it was like to lose. So losing is a great motivator <laughs> because it, 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 it's, it's you confront yourself. It's like looking at yourself. You can't fake the, the loss. You know, when you win, it masks all of the things. You know, we, all, we always like to say winning covers a multitude of sins. When you win and, you know, those things just get swept away. When you lose, they get magnified. So when you, we had, under, we had already experienced, you know, what you know what losing felt like uh we were able to gather ourselves in a short amount of time because remember when michael retired it was only like a couple days if i recall it was only like a week before the season was about to start it wasn't like yeah, we had all over. summer yeah it wasn't it wasn't like we had the whole summer to prepare to build a team to get ready scotty let's figure out what you're going to do horace let's figure out what you're going to do it was like a week before the season's going to start Michael Jordan retires. You take 30 to 35 points a night out of your lineup. And by the way, guys, we're going to start playing next week. Good luck. Now, that's how that's what it was. Now, we had lost a family member with Michael. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we just lost a player. We lost a family member. And there, there was a lot of emotion in, in why he, you know, what was going on in his own in his life, you know, in his own personal life. Right. Um, and then we found it, we figured out how to play Scotty Pippen, in my humble opinion, and I don't want this ever to get lost. Scotty Pippen made the most difficult transition for any players. You go from being the number two guy to the number one guy. And that year, Scotty Pippen was magnificent. I can't say it enough. Scotty Pippen was the MVP of that season. And if he wasn't the best player in the league, he was the number two player. I mean, he led us in scoring. He led us in rebounding. He led us in assists. He was MVP at the all-star game. And he, you know, he would had ascended to a now a top five player in the NBA. 
that was his coming out party. And I, and I always say this when people ask me about this season, about that season, that particular season, Scottie Pippen, um, arguably that was his greatest season statistically as a pro that year. So we had, you know, we had a, a magnificent player that we could rally around. Horace Grant became an all-star that year. Phil Jackson did a amazing job of coaching, right? Because he had to coach on the fly. It wasn't like we had time to build this team and we just had incredible leadership, right? It was probably a good thing that we didn't have time to think about it because we just had to like figure out what we had to do. I mean, you go from having Michael Jordan, 35 points a game, to like, who's going to fill that role? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of thin air, Pete Myers comes up, and we win more games <laughs> that year than the previous team. Mm-hmm. And we just feel, I mean, it was just one of those things that we didn't have time to really understand the magnitude of it. And, and saying all of this chaos, because it was chaotic. We were one play away from getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. That's that's the season that we had. And it all started because we had incredible leadership that just went down. And but Scotty was he was the catalyst that really, you know, he just he was playing out of his he was just playing out of his mind that year. He just was incredible. What what was it that you saw in Scotty aside from the play behind the scenes? What, what kind of transformation did he make, you know, kind of off the court uh, to 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 be able to ascend to that role? Well, I think Scotty was just prepared for the moment. And um, mm-hmm. once you are in the battles, right, we we had been in a lot of battles, right? We had, we went through that Detroit experience. And that's another experience. And then we had won. And then Scotty was playing against the best players in the world. Like 91, he guards Magic Johnson. 92, you know, we win again. And then he plays in the 92 Olympics. 93, he is, you know, playing again and we win again. So we had had done something. He was ascending. He was like a perennial all-star. And I just think he was ready. He was, he knew he was one of the best, but he also knew what he had to do for that team. And when it was his time to shine, he was, he knew. I mean, we we saw it every day in practice, but, you know, we didn't need him to do that on that team. We needed him to do other things. And he, filled in beautifully but when it was his time and it was his moment Scottie Pippen he was ready and uh he was and I never want that to get lost because Scottie Pippen was terrific that year I mean he really I mean he was you know he was just one of the best players in the league he was one of the best players in the world I don't care where where you're talking about he was just that good that year yeah, absolutely. And that was part of the best about seeing those last two episodes is just how that team came together in that kind of gap year between when MJ came back. And, you know, BJ, one of the interesting things about this documentary has been that it's really told from a narrative around MJ, right? Like his ascendance into the league, that team, how it all kind of orbited around him. And, you know, and Ken Burns kind of had some interesting comments about it not being a true documentary because it's formed around his narrative. How much of this story would be told in the exact same way if it was told from some random third-party documentary source? Well, I think it has to be told from his perspective. Um, I think Michael is the one that has to, you know, discuss it. I think he's the one that has to, you know, share his mindset, his preparation, because he was, 
he was such a polarizing figure. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, you know, so Michael was there and it was like Michael and, and then it was the Michael and the Jordanaires and it was Michael and the Bulls. And then suddenly it was Michael. And then here's Scottie Pippen. Michael leaves and all of a sudden there were two other guys who suddenly ascend to be become all-stars. So it was like everyone was doing their thing to make sure that we needed to do within the context of our group and what was best for our group. Um, you know, Michael was, he, he just had an incredible understanding about team and, and community and what it meant to be in a group and all of those things. So we just had a, a special group of guys that I think in the end, as I think about it, I don't know why things come together, but it, it all came together for us in that time. And uh, we all benefited from it. Is it safe to say if you didn't invite him to breakfast that one morning that MJ never would have returned? Oh, stop. I, <laughs> it's like, it didn't matter. Picasso was going to be Picasso no matter what. You know, it's like, you know, I, 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 I you know, it, the thing is like, I had no idea, like, I'd be talking about this some years later, right? You know, that's, the thing is for, for this gener my generation was that's what you did, right? You didn't text people, right? There was no cell phones back then. You didn't, you know, email, there was no email back then. You actually had to talk to one another. So to me, it just seems normal. Like, Hey, your friend is in town. What do you do? Well, you grab a bite, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You grab a bite, you go and you hang out, you know, you check in with one another. Well, what are you doing? Well, I got practice tomorrow. What are you doing? Well, I'm just in town doing some other stuff. I'm going to a couple of BDs. Let's meet before practice and hang out. Like, it didn't seem like a big deal other than we were here. And then the thing I'm most thankful about that that exchange was that we were still talking trash to one another and it the, our our relationship never stopped, right? So, you know, it's like guys being guys. That's what you do. Like it starts off, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, Otto, how's it going? And all of a sudden, you start talking trash to one another. <laughs> so that means you really like each other. And then, you know, was, like my mom would be, all, she would ask me, why do you guys talk to each other that way? Well, because that's my friend. That's what we do, right? <laughs> you know, so we're talking trash to one another. He's got his clothes on. And, you know, we just kind of picked up, you know, where I, I never thought about whether he was coming back or whatever. I would just wanted to be a good friend. And that's, that's all it was. Um, I don't know if, if it even mattered. I was just like, Hey, you know, that's what you do. Like if I see him now and we didn't talk trash, I would be like, okay, what's wrong? You know, that's <laughs> what we do. <laughs> like when I see Scotty and I see Michael and I see all of the guys, we give each other a hard time, right? That means you like the person. If you give them a hard time, at least in our world. And, uh, that's just part of it. So, you know, we talk a little trash and and you get used to it. I mean, that's our environment. So you talk about what you do now. And so uh, if you saw him now, so now my question would be uh, in your role now and his role, he's obviously an executive with the team. Have right. you had any players that you've, that you've had that uh, have required a dealing with him or his people? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's how so, has that gone? <laughs> it's so funny, right? It, it's like, it's really funny when you're dealing because you know these people, right? You know, like, so you, you make your, I'm coming in with my presentation of why player X should get this. And he's coming in of saying, why not? And then we just look at each other and we just start laughing, right? Because both of us were on the other side as the player. Mm -hmm. Now he's the owner. So we laugh. And that's the one thing about Michael that 
yeah, he's intense and all of those things, but he has a great sense of humor. And, and that's the one part that I don't think many people know that he's really funny. He, he really has a great sense of humor. And uh, so we do a lot of laughing, even when we see each other. I saw him at All-Star Weekend, and, and we just start laughing. And he just he's, he can't help himself. He just gives everybody a hard time. That's his theme. And then, uh, but for us who know, know him, we know how to get around that. And uh, it's just, it's like a back and forth. I don't, I, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, our relationship like this. Hey, so, all right, so another question. Uh, is there a story out there that you, I don't know, let's just say, might not have told before or that, that someone hasn't asked or hasn't come out that uh, <laughs> you feel would be appropriate in this venue of just a few friends? Yeah, I, you know, you know, it's funny because you know, things kind of happen and things come up. Um, you know, it's so many times that you have and so many things that we shared. Over, but I, I can't think of them. Sometimes they'll come up and like, oh, I, re- I remember that. Or, oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that. Um, the, the one thing I remember most about on those teams and in particular him is, you know, I watched him evolve into this this figure now, right? This Air Jordan figure. And he just... He continuously got better every year. He would bring something new into his game. Um, The one thing that I have a a great admiration for him is that no matter what was going on in his life, right? Space Jam, (laughs) you know, Air Jordan doing the commercials, the Spike Lee commercials. Basketball always remained first and foremost in his life. And that, that was like him in a nutshell, right? No matter what was going on, basketball was always number one. Well, I got this commercial to do. Well, okay. The commercial will wait to after I have to do what I have to do over here. Well, I have this movie that I have to do called Space Jam. It's going to require me to be there for 12 hours a day. Okay, that's fine. We'll do that. But basketball will always remain number one. So for him to be able to navigate this and to watch how he's he did this for so long and remained this level of excellence is really a tribute to him and the authenticity that he brought to the game of basketball, right? The respect that he had to the game, but the authenticity to always remain himself throughout all of this, you know, Michael never got lost in this Air Jordan character. He always had a huge sense of self through this. So to be able to watch this and know the difficulties that it takes to be a superstar and all the responsibilities, you know, that's a tribute to him, his family and what he was able to do, because that's a, that's a, that's a huge commitment on anyone. You know, we always, you know, I hear people say, I want to be a star. Well, you better be careful what you ask for because you might just be it. And then you will understand the problems that come with being a star, the problems and the isolation and all of the things. So for him to remain this grounded, and remain just one of the guys because when the camera is off, he's truly just one of the guys. And I think that's, you know, I, I just start smiling. And I think, cause I know he loves that more than anything. We love the time. We, we love uh, that you've been able to, uh, to answer our questions and, and uh, spend part of the day with us. So thank you so much. Uh, looking thank forward to, uh, thank you. Looking forward to uh, see how this, see how this thing winds up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It should be interesting. It should be interesting. It's been captivating. And again, you guys stay safe, be well, and thank you again. That was dope. 
Special thanks to BJ Armstrong for dropping by Catch and Shoot 2.0. Just a reminder, BJ does his own podcast here on Pure Hoops Media. You can catch him on Fridays with Eric Newman. They do the Pure Hoops podcast, and the two of them are a lot of fun to listen to. But Otto, we get episodes 9 and 10 this week. The finale, we know how this story ends. Don't tell me. Are you excited about it? Do you have Jordan fatigue? Where are you at with these last two episodes? I do not have Jordan fatigue. I am. I'm I'm experiencing just a little bit. Just a little bit of Jordan fatigue. Like, you know, it's great. It's lovely. Love MJ. Love the jump man. But I'm ready for something else. Well, I, I'm very curious to to hear what uh, Brian Russell has to say. I mean, the like the, you know, the, the that last shot and the and the quote unquote push off and all of that. I would love to hear. You know, one we've heard from him before, but love to hear and and hope that he's part of this. Um, I know I know a lot of the guys that that were torched over the years were not part of this, but I would that would be special to to see if they if they had him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm hoping that episodes nine and 10 kind of capture that emotion, that raw emotion that we saw in episode seven. So I'm hoping we get a little bit more of that. And personally, I want to hear more about what MJ has been doing post-basketball, you know, MJ as the owner, MJ as the person, because we already know how this story ends. And Michael has been so distant from the NBA and really basketball circles in general since his retirement. I just want a little bit more of a glimpse, a little bit more insight into MJ, the person. Well, you you may get that. Hopefully, we will we will get that. Hopefully, they will deliver. I'm just I'm just saying, if they're not edited yet and they're not fully produced, just give us a little bit of that content. Just, <laughs> just, just tee it up for us. Okay. Well, well, uh, AB, we're gonna we're gonna leave it right there. And so uh, that has been the edition. This edition of the Catch and Shoot 2.0 show. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks to our producers uh, Bruce Bernstein and Scott Durkin, as well as our editor Ben Wolfen. Yeah, and we can't say enough. Thank you for BJ Armstrong for taking time out of his day to join us. It was a lot of fun. Mike Weiss show drops on Monday. He had our fellow chief content officer, Bruce Bernstein, on this week. It's a worthy listen, guys. On Tuesday, it's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. They had a great gift this week. It's Cole Anthony, who could be a lottery pick in this year's NBA draft. Join them. On Wednesdays, that's your Catch and Shoot 2.0 day. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is where you are on Thursdays and on Friday. We mentioned it. Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong bring you our flagship podcast. It is the Pure Hoops Media Podcast. Rate, subscribe, share with all your friends. Make sure you're listening to the shows. And you know what? If you do enjoy them, tweet us. We love to hear your comments. And one final word. You know what I'm going to say. It's been uh, it's been a couple of months that we've been in this new world, but still we ask that all of you just uh, – uh, continue to wash hands, social distancing, you know, give folks the benefit of the doubt, wide berth, um, just to show some love and understanding. And perhaps above all, uh, a reminder to uh, acknowledge those who have gone out of their way. We're talking first responders, we're talking firefighters, police officers, doctors, nurses, uh, folks who uh, deliver your food and groceries and stock shelves and all of that. You know, we, we realize that this has been a, a tough, a tough road for everybody. Uh, but uh, everybody just continue keeping on doing what you're doing be smart stay safe love you everybody take care catch and shoot 2.0 is a presentation of pure hoops media Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. 
When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.